Let me invite you now to grab a Bible or a phone um, and follow with me as I read you a story out of uh, Numbers 20, uh, Deuteronomy 26 that I, you know, I bet you haven't heard this one before. I'm not, I'm not sure that you've spent a whole lot of time in Deuteronomy 26, um, but if you've never noticed this story, I think it's enchanting and, and, um, and I'll tell you why as we go. But you follow as I read the first 15 verses. Guys, what we're going to have to do is, um, what I try to do when I read my text is not read to you. I know you don't like to be read to, so I try to shorten them up um, so I don't read all of perhaps what I need to read, and today is one instance like that, but I'll read you what I think will give you the gist, and then we'll comment on the, the passage as we go. Uh, here it comes, uh, Deuteronomy 26, verse 1. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into this land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us, then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there became a nation great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground which you, O Lord, have given me, and you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God and you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you when you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year which is the year of tithing giving it to the Levite the sojourner the fatherless and the widow so that they may eat within your towns and be filled then you shall say before the Lord your God I have removed the sacred portion out of my house and forever and moreover I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandment that you have come that you have commanded me. I have not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten of the tithe that while I was mourning, or removed any of it while I was unclean, or offered any of it to the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God. I have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven. And bless your people Israel and the ground that you have given us as you swore to our fathers. A land flowing with milk and honey. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, this word, this that you've just heard, this endures forever. Guys, um, Labor Day is a, somewhat of an odd holiday, I think. Think you'd agree i mean it's supposed to be the day that signals the uh, the end of summer it's also a holiday that uh, launches uh, political campaigns 
It's also the day that where the rules go into effect that you are no longer allowed to wear white shoes. So um, next week, if any of you come in white shoes, we will have to have some kind of fashion police correct you and give you some boots, I guess. But, you know, that's all associated with Labor Day. I think that's rather odd. Um, you know that originally Labor Day was... Um, uh, back, it, it originated in the late 19th century, and it was supposed to be a celebration of the American labor movement. Not labor itself, but the labor movement. That's what uh, this holiday is all about. But the Bible um, it celebrates not a movement, but it celebrates labor. Labor itself. Um, it's a part of being a creature made in the image of God, who Jesus says in this very odd statement in John 5, he says that the, my father is working until now. We know that, that God worked in the first six days of creation, but he um, is described as working until now, says Jesus in John 5. Guys, Genesis makes clear that God created male and female, and he commanded them to subdue the earth which is called the creation mandate. Um, you know, even if we lived in a world without sin, without a curse, there would still be work to do. Because you see, work is not the curse. After sin enters in Genesis 3, it's not work that's the curse. It's the weeds associated with the work that's the curse. Work, you see, is not a curse at all. It's a part of being made in the, it's a part of our creaturehood. It's a part of being made in his image. Uh, we're made to work. You know, there are a few things that are more distressing and more depressing than, than losing your job. Uh, especially if you lose it to a machine. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk in the, the, the uh, corporate magazines uh, about technological displacement. Market Watch uh, reports that a third of able-bodied American men between the ages of 25 and 45 could be unemployed within 30 years. A Gallup poll indicates that 37% of millennials are at a high risk of losing their jobs to computers or machines. Um, there are certain groups that are going to be hit harder if indeed that all this happens. This is reported in the, the Brookings Institute. That, who predicts that technology and artificial intelligence could leave up to half of young African-American men without jobs by 2050. I don't know whether that, any of that's true. I just know that work is a part of our creaturehood. And when you, when you talk about numbers like that, you're talking about real people uh, with, the, the, with real suffering, with hardship, um, when they get displaced or lose a job and they struggle to feed their families paychecks are a are a are a holy thing um being able to feed one's family is something that god knows that we need but it's done primarily through work which he um he um ordains guys if the christian church ever finds uh, uh, the culture around us lining up at the unemployment lines because they've been displaced by artificial intelligence. We got to do more than give them money. 
because there's something about our dignity that is associated with work. Um, We're created to work and to express our creaturehood uh, through work. Now, so that's my that's my nod towards Labor Day. All of that kind of brings me to my text in Deuteronomy 26, which is really not so much about work. And by the way, it's not about tithing, which I know that will relieve many of you. Um, Numbers 26, uh, Deuteronomy 26 is about an attitude. It's about an attitude, folks. Um, w- an attitude that will affect how we work and what we do with the proceeds of our work and how we view our resources. That's all in Deuteronomy 26, which I want to show you. Let's do that. Um, Let me point this out first. Deuteronomy 26 is in a section of the book of Deuteronomy. You know, Deuteronomy is written by Moses. He's towards the, it's towards the end of his life. It's a collection of sermons uh, that Moses preached as before he died. Uh, this, is a, this is a section, probably one very long sermon, that I think starts back in chapter 19. If you'll go there, you'll notice that uh, chapter 19 introduces this section, which includes laws lots and lots of laws it's a series of laws let me show you chapter 19 begins with laws concerning the city of refuge there are laws still in chapter 19 about boundaries there uh, beginning in verse 15 there are laws concerning witnesses that are to uh, be used in courtrooms in a court of law you go to chapter 20 Um, It begins, it opens up with laws concerning warfare. There is such a thing as a civil war. You go to chapter 22, and I don't know about your copies of the the, the scriptures, but mine begins with this this title, Various Laws. Uh, How about this? Here's one of the various laws. A woman shall not wear, this is verse 5, a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Um, There's several of those laws in there um, uh, about you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. That's verse 10. Then that chapter closes with laws concerning sexual immorality. Oh my. And then you come to chapter 24, and you have laws concerning divorce. And then you've got another section of miscellaneous laws. And also contained in chapter 24 are several statements about laws uh, as to how we are to treat the poor and the needy. Then you come to chapter 25. Chapter 25 is a, is a, includes laws concerning leveret marriage. And then you've got some more miscellaneous laws, even including a statement about weights and measures. Gang, do you see what's going on in this section? God is giving through Moses a, a, a set of laws about how to build a kingdom society, a kingdom culture. Um, it's, it's a description of the city that is set, the city of God that is set down inside the city of man and how it's supposed to function. 
And one of the emphases that you'll find, not the only emphasis, but one of the emphases is about how we treat the poor. Folks, one of the key components of righteous living is not how we treat the wealthy and the talented and the gifted and the advantaged. It's how we treat the marginalized. That's all in here in this section concerning various laws, all kinds of laws. Read it, and you'll see what, what, the, what God is doing. He's trying to, to shape a culture and culture and, and societal thinking. And as I said, one of those things, one of, the, one of the emphases is about the poor. That brings us to chapter 26, which is the final chapter in this section of specific laws. Got it? we got a whole section about laws and what a culture is going to look like and should look like according to, to righteousness. And then we come to chapter 26, which is a fitting conclusion and focuses on how um, we are to respond to God's gracious gift. What gift? The land. Did you see it in there when I read it? It's, um, it's, there, it's in verse 2, uh, from the land that the Lord your God is giving you. It's in verse 3, um, the, the God that I had come into this land. The, one of the big emphases in the book of Deuteronomy is the land that God has promised and is giving to Israel. It's certainly emphasized in our, in our, our text in Deuteronomy 26. So, um, God has given to Israel the land. There are laws as to how this culture is to operate. And then, in light of the fact that God has given to Israel the land, Israel is to give back. How? How is that to happen? Well, gang, stay with me, because to me, this is a, this is an fascinating story um, um, and, I, and I hope you'll find it fascinating too but you'll notice okay God gave us the land and then there is the assumption in verse 2 that I'm going to work this land because of course it leads to a harvest you know the land does not yield automatically it must be worked those uh, those weeds have got to be tamed and the book of Proverbs talks a lot about, about sluggards. Listen to, listen to this statement about a slug. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. But the, the, the Proverbs also talk about diligence. Listen to this. The hand of the diligence will, diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Whoever, whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. <clears throat> because, folks, there was a land that was given to them by God. And the tension was that that land was to be worked. We don't sit idly by and rock in our rocking chairs while, and hoping something will grow out there. No, 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 no. The, the diligent is going to be granted wealth while the, uh, while the sloth are going to starve. In a culture like Israel's, an agrarian culture, wealth uh, meant good crops um, and, and a well-fed family and a stable farm that I could pass on to my children. All that was to be maintained by hard work. 
But then, then comes the harvest. And now I've got to figure out, what do I do with the harvest? And here comes the attitude. The attitude that I said earlier about, it's not about work, it's not about tithing, it's about an attitude. So I've diligently worked the land that you gave me, and now it's yielded a crop. And how am I now to deal with this crop? Well, first of all, underline, uh, or under, underneath all of uh, the crop is an attitude. An attitude that I'm supposed to have. And so um, I, I have this produce because God gave me a land and that's not all he gave me. Um, because another part of his gift to me is that I have health to work in that land that he gave me. And then, of course, the weather really cooperated this year. And, and uh, you know, we had the rains at the right time. And, and, and then, of course, there was the ability, knowing how to use, sow seed and use these implements that I have and, and the strength to use those implements. And then, of course, the opportunity at all, the, the, the opportunity that we have to, to, pr, pr, to plant those seeds because God gave us this land. And now this land has produced. And what am I supposed to do with it? Well, here's what I'm supposed to do with it. At the first sign of a crop, I'm supposed to take a basket full of first fruits and I'm supposed to travel down to Jerusalem where the, the temple was um, and I take my, my basket of first fruits and, and, I, and, I, and I present it to the priest and, and, and I say something like this. To Mr. Priestman, I, I say, um, Mr. Priestman, I, I, I want God, God, God to get all the credit because this produce here has come from the land that, that, that he gave me and that he gave to Israel. And then we're told, after I've made my little speech before the priest, look at verse 10. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground which you, O Lord, have given me and you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship. Why? Because I am very mindful that everything that I have in that basket was a gift of God to me. He gave me the land. And then he added the... the the strength and the weather and the ability and all those other things. And this is a reflection. This basket full of fruit is a reflection of his goodness to me. And so I bring the fruit down to the priest and I say, here it is, Mr. Priest man. And now I worship. And then from verse 12 and following, you find that every third year, after I've done that, I'm also to bring an additional gift, but I don't take that to Jerusalem. I keep that in my hometown for the benefit of the landless, who are probably poor. So, I, I take one to Jerusalem, and then every third year I take one to Jerusalem, and, and I keep one in my hometown for the, for the needy. 
And then I, I offer that. And I, I, I don't act haughty as if, you know, you bums. No, no, no. I, I give uh, this, this other portion. And then I, I, I'm generous in so doing. I don't demand any of my rights because I don't have any. I, I, I recognize God's role in all of this. And I, I, I never forget that among us are the less fortunate, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow. And so I give it. What an attitude. Don't you agree? Is that not comely? How do I get that? How do I get an attitude like this guy's got? Well, I want to show you how. And it's right in the center of the text. I want you to notice what's in the center of all this giving, of all of this concern for the poor, of all of this worship, right in the center of this narrative. We find verses 5 through 9. which is about his story. At the center of the worship, at the center of the giving, at the center of the concern, is the story. And it starts in the middle of verse 5 when the man says, you know, Mr. Priest, man, I was a wandering Aramean. Or my father was a wandering Aramean. You know who he's referring to? He's referring to Jacob. By the way, there are many Old Testament Hebrew scholars that will tell you that the word wandering should be translated perishing. I'm a perishing Aramean. But he's referring to Jacob. Remember that story? Remember Jacob is the one whose name got changed to Israel? Um, and he had the 12 sons, and 11 of the sons decided to sell one of the sons into slavery. And so they send him down to Egypt. He goes to jail a couple of times, but then there is this interpretation of a dream that he has about seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And so his name is Joseph, of course, and Joseph descends to the right hand of Pharaoh, and he's administering all of this plenty and this, and this uh, famine. And up in Canaan is the family of Joseph who sold him into slavery, and they're starving. So they, uh, daddy, uh, uh, Jacob, um, uh, whose name is Israel also, he sends his boys down to Egypt to buy some uh, grain so that they can be fed. So they go down and they get some, uh, some grain and they come back uh, and they, and they uh, you know, celebrate. They got something to eat, but they're running out of that. And in Genesis 43, Jacob says to his sons, what are you still doing here? We're running out of that food. You need to go back and get us some more food. You know, they, they don't want to do that because, you know, you know the story. But, um, but anyway, they end up going down there, and they discover that it's Joseph, their brother, that they sold into slavery. The whole family moves down, and, and, and we're told that when they got down there, and this is um, a verse 5, we moved down there few in number, and there he became a nation, great and mighty and populous. Oh, 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 oh. we got down to Egypt, and boy, did we ever flourish. We became a great and mighty, strong, populous nation. But then... Unfortunately, Joseph died, and so did the Pharaoh that, that, he, that liked him. Then all our, my, my, my uncles and brothers, they all died, and Jacob died. And uh, we're told, verse 6, that the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us with forced labor. Remember all that cracking the whips and all that business? Making the bricks without the straw? Oh, that was awful. And then we cried to the Lord our God in verse 7, 
and verse 8, and the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand and outstretched arm with great deeds of terror and signs and wonders. Remember that? Those ten plagues, the flies and the frogs and the, and the blood in the Nile River and all that business? And so um, uh, God raises up Moses, sends Moses down there and, and extracts us out, out, of, out of Egypt. And uh, now we're, we're coming into this land that he's given us. Oh, Mr. Priest man. Man, I used to be a wandering Aramean. But I'm not a wandering Aramean anymore. Look at verse 10. And behold, in response to all that God accomplished on our behalf, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground which you, O Lord, have given me. Everything in that basket. God gave that to me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God. And worship. Do you see it? From, from whence cometh the attitude, the good attitude? It comes from the story. The story of, of my redemption. Guys, we must never forget the story. Not his story, my story, your story. Oh, I wasn't a wandering Aramean, but I was a wandering Memphian. I was a, I was a perishing UT Vol. I was a, I was a hell-bound SAE. And in the midst of all my wandering, he came and he got me. And he brought me out of that house of bondage. Out of my bondage to sin. And he brought me. He brought me to this place. This land that flows with milk and honey. Guys, yes. Giving is to be such a big part of my relationship to God. but giving not that is spawned by duty. Giving that is spawned because of the story. Sharing and concern because of the story. Guys, do you think, or did you, did you hear in this story, or did you, do you think this guy kind of got dragged himself into the temple, and he took his basket of fruit, and he stood in front of the priest guy, and he said, all right, there you go, priest guy, you, all right, you want it, you got it. I, I know what the law says, all right, here, here, just take it. Do you, do you see any of that in here? I don't. There was a joy in this giving 
because of the story. There was earnestness in his, in his sharing with the poor because of the story. There was a godly fear. Did you see that? It was in verse 13. He says, I have removed the sacred portion out of my house. I'm on, I haven't given it to the Levite. I hadn't touched it. I wouldn't dream of touching that which belongs to you, Lord. And there was this godly fear to his giving because of the story. Some of you might say, well, you know, I, I, that's really interesting, Dr. Young. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a grand and glorious illustration of gratitude. It is that. But it's way more than that. This describes a man who recognizes not simply the demand for generosity or the demand for gratitude. This is a man that recognizes ownership. He's owned. I've been bought with a price. What I am and all that I have is because of his sovereign intervention in my life. I have a life that's somewhat stable and not riddled with chaos. Because of what he did to me and for me. One final statement that I didn't read this one just because I'm, again, trying to save time, but it's in verse 18. It's kind of the cherry on the top. Listen. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for His treasured possession as He promised you. (laughs) Hey, Bob, Susan, Bill, Randy, Gloria, Sally, Mary. The Lord has declared to you today that you are a people for His treasured possession. Keep reading. And that you are to keep all His commandments. Do you see that sequence, ladies and gentlemen? Never reverse that. It starts by the realization that I am His treasured possession. I was in bondage to sin and he came down and wrenched me out of that and has transferred me from a kingdom of darkness into his kingdom of glorious light. You see, I am his treasured possession. And from the time that he got me out of there, he's done nothing but give to me. And he promises to give me more in future grace. Folks, it's that story that shapes my attitude. You've got one.
It's that story that we can never forget. It's the story that changes our view and perspective about just about everything. It shapes my, my view of my work. It, it shapes my view about my resources, about my choices, about my life, about my priorities, about my schedule, about my obedience. What changes it, Dr. Young? The story. What's your story? You got one? You ever shared it with anybody? Or are you not yet redeemed? Then come to Christ today. And your story will begin. Our Father, I pray that you will make us very mindful, as was this man, of all that you have uh, wrought on our behalf. You have um, you have given us the land. It's not so much that we're grateful. We are grateful. But we also know that we've been bought with a price. That we no longer uh, uh, claim ownership. We glory in being owned by a Father in heaven who went to extraordinary lengths to wrench us from a bondage to sin. So, Father, um, soon one day we will recognize far better how glorious is this thing that you have accomplished in us. Would you give us a taste of it this morning? Would you show us a little bit more about it not the story of a wandering Aramean, but our story. What you did in our lives to bring us to yourself. Do that, Father. And, and if you've brought people who have not yet seen the great beauty of the gospel, open their eyes that they might see it today. We ask all of that, of course, in Jesus' name.